A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. This is an episode in our Knowledge Graph Conference Takeover Week. Please check the show notes for a raffle giveaway of free tickets to the conference and more information about the Knowledge Graph Conference itself. There will be more information at the end of the episode. Thanks. Hello to the Data Mesh community. My name is Thomas Deedy, co-founder of the Knowledge Graph Conference, and I'm excited to announce our fourth and largest conference taking place at the beautiful Cornell Tech Campus in New York, and also streamed live on our virtual platform the first week in May. This year, we're adding new content focused on topics such as Web3 and decentralization, SEO, data architecture, open knowledge network, and and an entire track dedicated to business use cases. We're excited to welcome over 75 leaders from across the globe, including some amazing keynotes. We'll have over 20 workshops and tutorials and 10 tracks in the conference across the five days. We're running an in-person symposium on healthcare and life sciences, a tools and demos track, and we're also continuing our successful startup pitch event. And importantly, we're organizing numerous in-person networking events during each day and also in the evenings of the conference. So looking forward to seeing you in New York or online the first week of May, and do take the time to enter the raffle. Thank you. In this episode of the Knowledge Graph Conference Takeover Week, special guest host Ellie Young, founder of Common Action, interviewed Philippe Hoy, founder of Different. At the wrap-up, Philippe mentioned that data architects should be able to communicate in ways other than PowerPoint. We need new and better ways to express ourselves and the way things are connected. We will always need metadata around our data. We need 
text to express our ambiguity. But we don't have great ways to express things that are slightly ambiguous at this point, really. Something that's not fully formed, but also mostly known. A good tool allows to more easily query your your model, your data model of the world to iterate and increment on it. That is where knowledge graphs can be the most helpful. Ellie responded to that with, it's not difficult, it's just complicated. (laughs) So Philippe started his journey towards knowledge graph, especially thinking about the Adito project he and a team built out uh, for the Hack the Crisis Sweden event in 2020 around COVID-19. He needed a way to prototype, visualize, and collaborate on data and the connections between data at scale. A regular data model does not convey enough information about what the data is and how it relates. Ellie then shared some insight into the difficulties around collaborating on data across organizations and people in her climate change work at Common Action. Collaborating across organizations, all with different ways of working, you need a common kind of language or way of communicating relative to data, but you can't easily develop a shared schema, right? If you've listened to other people talking about developing shared schemas, especially in the life sciences space, you know, those standards can take uh, a decade to really form and, and, and evolve. So knowledge graphs provide incremental capabilities for that collaboration. Philippe talked about when collaborating across organizations, you still have the needs uh, that master data management tries, but often fails, to address. But there is zero capability to manage the other organization's data flow before it is it goes into the shared data pool. Philippe was having issues with open-ended knowledge graphs like SparkQL and OWL. They, they really needed composable data structures to be able to be flexible in the case uh, they can't fully decompose a concept, especially as the concept or their understanding of that concept evolves. For Philippe, Terminus DB was a big win because it allowed for composable data structures and much easy querying across the graph. Ellie discussed the origins of Terminus DB being about collaborations across many entities and organizations. So it has a much different approach to accepting data that doesn't necessarily conform to a schema or data model. The get for data model concept in Terminus DB was also a really big win for Philippe as it made experimentation much easier. Ellie shared some of the changes in her work at Common Action, working around working with many different entities, many of which are small and not that data literate or, or kind of data native, and how they need to enable collaboration without rigidity as things are so dynamic in the ways that people work and in the overall organization or the overall environment, right? When you think about the actual uh, climate change and how the global environment changes, that's pretty dynamic. So Philippe discussed the need for enabling people to collaborate in, in that messy kind of environment. The world is changing and trying to spend all your time and effort categorizing it into a single schema isn't realistic. He believes you need to enable collaboration in a truly distributed environment. The value is driven by micro-level action with 
autonomy and, and that those people that are kind of on the ground, that's where that value is really driven. So people making progress in their own domain, which creates the global value. How do you enable those people? Too often we've tried to centralize that collaboration and it doesn't work. The collaboration shouldn't be heavy, uh, shouldn't be a heavy overhead to driving that value creation. How can we flip that script to make collaboration the enabler? Philippe shared about how knowledge graphs can be used to manage compliance with security standards. You can map out much more easily who has responsibility for what and even identify gaps in your compliance adherence processes. Being able to query that information easily makes it far easier to make sure you are identifying and mitigating risk. Ellie talked about breaking things down into paths for what is happening and what is not happening, and then what needs to happen to actually hit your future goals. She mentioned it's a new way to interact with change and the unknown. For Philippe, we need to start somewhere in breaking down the complexity and visualize what's going on. What are the patterns that we can see? Let's model and share them in a low complexity enough way. You can start to see the concepts and connect them in a way that we as humans can understand. It's almost like building a hive mind concept. Each each brain has its own context. And then when you share that context into the greater whole, it's impossible to know what incremental information or knowledge will be generated from those additional connections. But it's almost an inevitability that will happen many more patterns will uh, emerge, those kind of patterns of patterns. But we need to be able to share that context in some way to have those patterns emerge. Ellie shared thoughts about what, what is complexity, just something that is so big and or gnarly that it is, at best, difficult for a human to understand it all. Things are so interconnected, you can't just adjust one piece or aspect. But it's okay to not understand the absolute complete picture. We can move forward with confidence and or identify the most likely best challenges to address. You know, you don't have to have the full 100% picture to really understand what's going on and move forward. Philippe believes it is often sufficient to understand just the directionality to move forward and make progress. Knowledge graphs helps us to deal with the complexity and capture aspects of complexity in a way that makes it more understandable. Ellie talked about knowledge graphs creating better information flow about what impact changes or perspective changes to data we are sharing will have on downstream consumers. How can we unravel the giant knotted ball of yarn one bit at a time instead of mapping out the entire unraveling process ahead of time? Philippe mentioned that knowledge graphs aren't great for every use case. Look for the places where it really makes sense. Look at the specifics. While you can use graphs to manage the interconnectivity between the data, not all relational structures benefit. Then Philippe discussed what he is working on and kind of his ideas about when to release it. He's focused on making data modeling much easier, but doesn't want it to be overly technical. He wants to focus and and guide and enable the change makers. It's going to be about enabling the collaborative aspects of knowledge graphs so people can have much better conversations about the data. And then people can express changes in data instead of in PowerPoint. Ellie mentioned what 
Veronica Hederlein Hjogberg had also discussed in her episode that you can model your data in the same way as you are used to in a knowledge graph, but it's a form of data immediately rather than taking that kind of data model and transforming it then into data. It's already kind of data native. We have to talk to each other to discuss our data conventions and develop a new relationship for business users to data. We have to make it so that it's easy for those business users to leverage the data. And so Philippe and and Ellie think that knowledge graphs help us along that path. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. everyone, and welcome to uh, the last um, episode of Knowledge Espresso on Scott Hurlman's Data Mesh Radio. I'm Ellie Young, the former head of community at KGC and now founder of Common Action. And I'm joined today with Philippe, uh, I'll try to get this right, Philippe Hoy. Hoy. Is that right? So tell, tell us how to say it correctly. <laughs> Philippe Hoy. There we go. Philippe Hoy. <laughs> Um, who has a very interesting perspective on complex um, data structures for collaboration using both data mesh and knowledge graphs. So I'm really excited to kind of do a tour of Philippe's thinking uh, today on this call. Philippe, why don't we start out with an introduction to your background and, and your work right now? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Um, so I'm Philippe Hay. So uh, founder and uh, managing director of Different, so different.com. And I started the company about a year ago to go out on my own to uh, create a consultancy, but also to start creating products because I've seen a space that is super interesting around knowledge graphs and uh, how to solve that. So uh, my background is in cybersecurity and uh, solution architecture, but very much on the blend on the business side. So business architecture, enterprise architecture, most things centered around architecture for about 20 years. So that would be a yeah, quick summary. Okay. So, so what's this interesting space that, that you're seeing? What, what do, tell us what that looks like and how you found it. Yeah. So I sat out in, in uh, the garden last summer and talked with a fellow security architect about how do we model all the data and the connections between the data in, in a relevant way. Uh, so that we can visualize it, we can show it kind of like a concept graph or something like that, and then have the data, be able to query it, visualize it, and collaborate on it at scale. Mm-hmm. It was silent. Both of us looked at each other. Well, no, we don't really have the tools to do that, neither in the enterprise that he was in uh, or in general, because usually you need to procure these tools. And whenever you need them, you need to find how to do that. And it doesn't really make sense. You want to do that all the time. So I figured, yeah, let me search for things. But there seems to be some some interesting things here to build. And that connected back to background that I was creating uh, a few things here in this space. 
uh, with a company that I founded two years ago in, in uh, the wake of the Hack for uh, Hack the Crisis Sweden uh, hackathon, uh, which was Edito, uh, where we built a uh, common actor portal for uh, crisis response in Sweden. And so was the, the common actor portal, how did that relate to this idea of, um, you know, modeling the data, being able to visualize it? Was that also something that you used data mesh and knowledge graphs for, or, or did your research kind of take you through these areas? How did this all come to be? Yeah, it, it was really an emergent property of, of that entire space. So, so what happened was that we started with a very simple thing. People would have things they needed in, in COVID. So like municipalities, the, the regions, the, the, the nations, so the, uh, the nation state and, and for face masks and whatever. And so people were crying out all over social media for, for what they needed. And people had things to give or give away. And so the idea was fairly simple. Let's connect people and, and make sure that people can can uh, talk to each other. And then we realized uh, we were funded. We had a, a grant process that was successful, and so we built up uh, this together with uh, needs owners. So it was the region, it was the um, a few local municipalities, and, and the certification uh, organization in Sweden. And what happened we realized all of the complexities of giving away and receiving and building things and 3d printing and, and we were all in in that space together having wild dreams about what could be possible but also all of the regulations and we figured that another problem in this space is the communication around all of these things uh what can people do uh, how do they communicate around the needs and specify the needs and that took me into this common actor collaboration and what in a way is a data mesh uh, where people need to collaborate on the needs across all of these actors in society, uh, which was a huge data problem uh, for modeling, for understanding the data, for having the connection between all of these things that, that had to be interconnected. And so that came in knowledge graphs uh, and to build something around knowledge graphs. So it, yeah, it's really, I mean, so, so for one, you know, I, I should full disclosure, uh, let everyone know that Philippe is part of my common action team, which is what we're also talking about in, in that respect, you know, how can we bring uh, action together for climate in order to, you know, sort of collaborate, communicate, exchange. And there's a lot of these, these, these types of problems, right? Like anytime we, we get sort of large groups, especially open networks who don't have existing relationships, don't have existing contact um, portals or, or lines open, you know, and, and even when we think about data mesh, right? Like we start to have these new challenges come up where, for example, um, you know, we have a, maybe we have a department that's taking care of a certain data set and then they decide to uh, retire that. And, and then, you know, someone else is dependent on that in a different department, right? So how do you handle now this, this new exchange that didn't used to exist in the data lake where everything just kind of accumulated and, and was an open and, and accessible thing? So, you know, there's this, so there's this whole new level of sort of like um, of shifting, right? There's different times and there's different relationships and there's these different exchanges that need to happen. So, um, you know, so I, I so I, I do think, and, and a lot of people say this, right, that data mesh and knowledge graphs go very well together. Um, they're, they're sort of uh, complementary technologies. So how did you um, think to use these to solve this problem, which is, you know, relatively, it's still a very new problem, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Coordinating with, with groups, um, you know, we haven't solved that yet. So so what does it look like that, that you're sort of 
experimenting with? Yeah, so, so what we experimented back then was when we talked to the civil contingencies agency in Sweden, we, we figured they had a very interesting problems that, that just sparked my imagination. So there was this um, cross-society collaboration without the internet. So expect you don't have internet, but you need to collaborate between organizations. And then you need to push and pull data between the organizations in, in a format that makes sense. And you need to have the models in place, you need to do experimentation. Uh, and with that imagination, I, I started seeing that, well, here, here is something that is unsolved. It's between organizations, you don't have a enterprise setup that specifically mimics and, and says exactly, this is how the data should be looking. You don't have master data management in the same way, but you have a need to collaborate on data that is emerging and has emergent properties. Um, and, and so that then took me into starting to, to uh, look at how to solve this. So I found a few not graphs, but I, I tended to see the Spark, uh, Spark QL and uh, OWL and these open-ended knowledge graphs as, as a burden. It, it was really hard to get something that was stable over time. You, you need the document descriptions. You need to know how the structure is. And, and probably the best way to do that is to have composable data structures. And that is a graph problem to connect these data structures together in a good way. And I didn't find any good way until uh, I popped up into this question last summer uh, with my friend there sitting. Oh, and two weeks later, I found Terminus DB. Again, I had it in my archive, but this makes sense in, in what I want to build. Uh, and, and they had this composable data structures. They have traits. They have everything that I wanted and I had to build out. They were just remaking everything in the database and creating a document interface. It was really painful in the beginning because I was just following along their journey. But I started to see how out of that emerged something fantastic uh, that enabled this uh, querying across an entire graph, uh, creating these very complicated data set if needed. Uh, and that enabled also to be able to see complexity in action. And I saw how I could visualize uh, complex things that I wouldn't know how to decompose because they were emerging in real time and how that would be expressible in a knowledge graph uh, where you don't know where things are, are, mm -hmm. are taking, is taking you. So there's this whole, now there's this new idea, right? So, so first we had the collaboration that is introduced from the data mesh and from inter-organizational uh, coordination. And now we have time, right? The, un, the unfolding of events like COVID, which, you know, two years ago was, was a very unknown um, context and, and how we, you know, how do we handle the data like as it's coming through, right? As we're even finding out what the schema is. So um, for those who, who aren't familiar with Terminus DB, maybe it would be helpful to just sort of understand a little bit more about um, what they offer. And I know that, so, you know, Terminus DB was sort of came out of an academic project to model um, say shot, I think, or say chat, um, which is, you know, it was it was a very large data project across many different academics. And so, you know, they had this this problem of like, how do we enable contributions um, towards one goal that's very, very big from lots and lots of different people. So I think that they have a, a slightly different, you know, sort of product because of that origin. Um, so what, how, you know, you've, you've experienced or you've explored it, you know, for a few, uh, maybe almost a year. Um, what is the, the, the possibility with Terminus DB? 
Um, if I would summarize it in, in one way, and a big shout out to, to Gavin and to, to Luke and the, the, the people of fantastic people out, out of uh, Terminus DB and the crew there. Um, but it's, it's, I would say, the document interface and Git for data. So having Git as, as the repository for code, but thinking of Git like for data instead. You have the branching, you can do experimentation with your data model, the schema for, for all of your data, uh, and you can do experimentation as well with the data and bring it out and into Terminus DB in a really easy way. So for me, the prototyping abilities of Terminus DB and then be able to use it for real and, and have both of these things in the same platform was, was an, an amazing uh, accomplishment out of the team. And for me, I could model almost anything. Um, and, and that was just beauty to, to be able to model things so freely. Um, and, and that enabled me to, to build on top of that a client uh, for the Terminus DB platform. And there, that enables all of the collaboration and that, are, that is needed in terms of a Git model. And a lot of the properties out of uh, Data Mesh, I would say all of the properties of Data Mesh, um, as, as that central place to store and, and work with data and then have a lot of clients around it. And it appealed to me because as a consultant, I want to be able to build a model, populate it with data, and then enable the customer to continue on that without any license restrictions or anything else that stops me from actually being able to give them what they have. So instead of leaving a few documents behind or Excel sheets or something else that they would be able to do CSV files, I can leave a full data product that is actually running and that you can query and you can work with and continue to do a lot of other things with. Uh, so that was something that was really beautiful in terms of leaving something that is Apache licensed, that is completely free to do whatever is needed uh, with it. So that appealed to me a lot. Um, so, so the client that you mentioned, so this is this is different, right? The, yeah. The, yeah. Okay. So, so let's let's understand that. What what's an example of a use case that you've been able to deliver in this way? Yeah. So, one of the things. Uh, so we. We worked on the problem of quantitative risk management in, in one of the enterprise uh, clients that I have. And how do we approach this? How do we try it out? So I uh, went through the cybersecurity risk uh, book, how to measure anything in, in cybersecurity risk, and how would I be able to model this security data mart in a good way? And I think, oh, wait, yeah, I, I can do it in this tooling that I'm slowly building. It, it's not up to speed yet, but let's try. And suddenly it was really easy. I was able to create the buckets I needed. I could create the quantitative risk uh, management model fairly easy, uh, which enabled me to start thinking about how to do the Monte Carlo simulations and, and just pin down how I wanted the data to look, the shape of the data, and have a composable models of the different parts and put those traits together as, as the data typing for it. Uh, so that was one of the, the prototyping ways of working with it. And in risk, you usually have the aggregated risk. You don't want to share that all across the enterprise and also share where that risk is because in cybersecurity, that could be a really good, bad thing to, to, to not to, to share that. So you want the domains, for instance, in software to be able to share nuggets of that risk and maybe share with them uh, some specific impacts that you might want to model them specifically or and you would model the probabilities. So you want to enable these local domains to model their data, and then you want to aggregate that up. And so that enables this push and pull model 
uh, in one way as, as how I see it or the visibility uh, of that. So, so that is one of the things I could prototype immediately and just show this is how I think of it. Let's try to find a product or build on this. I, I don't know how we, we go about it, but I could show it in, in a very short amount of time. Right, because it's 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 you because you have this sort of you know flexibility in the Terminus DB um, schema creation, like this whole Git for data that they've built. Mm -hmm. You can just throw something up and then experiment. Like it's sort of like it's that 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 Silicon Valley MVP, right? Like just go yeah. build something and then see what happens, and then. But you also can enable others to to participate, right, in creating this the schema. So how did that work for? In, in like a in sort of a real life context, like with the the risk, um, the various departments, you know, of risk in the enterprise, were they able to participate? Was that intuitive? How how did that collaborative uh, project look? Yeah, we're, we're not there yet. So this is okay. the okay, very early stages. Uh, but but there was very much about the collaboration and enabling these kinds of use cases where many people can collaborate in their specific domains and have this overview. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, that's a really big, you know, so when we talk about climate, when we talk about social impact, that's a really huge piece, right? Because mm -hmm. unlike an enterprise, when we when we think about um, sustainability issues, and, you know, there's so many, um, we're almost always dealing with many different groups, and many of those are, are small, right? So we think about nonprofits, um, you know, there might be a government involved or a series of governments, but they're usually, you know, it's just a small section, right? So there's a, a lot of dynamicity of the, the players. There's very little structure. There's certainly no master data management or even master like collaboration, coordination, like any kind of anything. Um, so, so how, you know, so these tools that you're, that you're thinking about building, how would that work in, in that context? Could we also apply things there and, and see different kinds of opportunities? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, we we're exploring this space, so 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 bear with me. It, it's not done. There's a a lot of thoughts around it. Um, but what we're doing at the different is that uh, we want to enable change makers. So so mm -hmm. that is our core mission. We want to enable change makers to make a difference in the world. And so how do we do that? Yeah, it's it's behavior change at scale. It's for cybersecurity. It's for climate change. It's for for just about anything where you need to really drive the direction rather than breaking down exactly what should be done and thinking about the impact instead. So the the thoughts that we are having there come from the logical framework approach. USAID uh, created these these models in the 60s and 70s uh, for for humanitarian aid, and, and those are complex problems. There is, it's not easy to get it done. It's messy. You don't have the details. You don't know how to go about it, but you can have the means of verification ready for you. You know when it's done, and so you can strive towards that. And and overall, you have a, a, a the logic chain uh, of uh, long-term impact, you have short-term impacts that drive uh, towards these long-term impacts, you have outcomes that you need to produce on a shorter scale, uh, and then you have specific projects that deliver a specific outcome. Uh, if they are successful, they deliver an outcome, uh, but you, it's really output from the project that drives an outcome, and then you have activities and resources. And when we look at the space, you want to interconnect all of these parts, uh, but it's not just one chain, and what we realize there is that you have strategic, tactical, and operational parts of that. And it starts to get messy real fast, uh, where you have players that need to do a lot of different things, and they do that in their local environments. And when you scale it up to 
global change, <laughs> global climate change, and every person being able to do their own part, that is where complexity really comes in. And I believe in collaboration and, and using these kind of um, distributed, uh, semi-detached knowledge graphs or data meshes uh, that don't go into a centralized domain, very fixed and rigid way of working, but rather having the distribution part being very separate and you push and pull like, like you're thinking in uh, many areas of Africa, you don't have, you have intermittent internet. So you're pushing when you have access. Uh, and, and so you're building this model up organically, locally, and you merge when it's relevant. I don't know exactly how that will be looking, uh, mm -hmm. but I believe this, this way of thinking applies in enterprises that are working in complex environment. It applies at scale. Um, and it's the other part of that. Um, so, so the logical framework would be a more broken down part of it. And then the upper part of that would be the theory of change. How do we envision the change to happen? What are the forces that are uh, acting upon each other and how do we drive the ultimate outcomes down the line of, uh, for instance, in, in climate change, we have the uh, sustainable development goals for 2030. But beyond that, we have 2050, we have 2000. We need to make a lot of changes in, in other timescales as well. And I believe that is for, for knowledge graphs and, and these kind of tools. Uh, but we need to rethink, if, if we're using the term data mesh, I don't know if it's the right term, but I'm, I'm thinking that the concepts and the principles of data mesh apply in this domain too, but you would apply them very differently than an enterprise context. So so how would that, what are you thinking about in that respect? You know, we have over in the enterprise context, we have the analytical and the operation side, right? Like how would we translate that to the, this new complex realm? Yeah, and, and, and I think that what, what really shines in, in what I discovered in terms of DB and their approach to it is, is how they make the schema so available and, and so possible to work on these really hard to digest schemas that can be very big, uh, but are very precise at the same time. So you can, uh, you can craft these data structures in a good way. And that takes me to the metadata part of, of data mesh. And I see that we're talking a lot about the analytical space and the operational space, but I think there's a metadata and master data management and these kinds of problems that are quite hard to, to figure out. And, and there are some really good systems that I've been using and working with in the past uh, that address that as well. But the Git for data approach is, is where they stand out. Uh, and I think that makes a lot of sense for, for shaping that. So back to the question then, so, so how does that other space look like? I think a lot of is around the, uh, the data structures and ensuring that they are relevant and that you can experiment with them. So you can shape shift the data when, when necessary into a new shape and then go from there and, and build new things. Uh, it takes the collaboration as well to get that right, absolutely. And uh, I've seen some of the writing uh, on, on the Termos DB blogs here and there. They're talking a lot about data shapes and how data shifting. Uh, and one of those is the data lenses approach and, and things like that to really shape shift data and how to move that from one schema to another. So this, and this brings us kind of back to that whole idea of communication and, and how do we organize that, which is, a, you know, a really a challenge, challenging problem. Um, what I think about when I'm, you know, when I think about personally, when I think about this problem of communication, which I often do, right, this is a really, really big piece of climate change action. 
I, I think knowledge graphs are really valuable here, right? Because we can actually, you know, have logic about who should be talking to whom inside of an AI, you know, recommender or something like this. Um, and, and of course, like as you're talking about, you know, setting goals for 2030, 2050, and 2100, like there's a lot of moving pieces and the knowledge graph helps us to, to track that, right? To, to see that sort of higher level view. Is that how you're you're thinking that the knowledge graph comes in? Is there is there more to this? Yeah, I could. I would think of one other use cases we've been into for for knowledge graphs and to deal with unknowns, really, where you don't know how things are implemented. So in, in the software space, we're seeing that um, in in the compliance space, you have certain standards and, and rules that you need to to comply with, and then you have different ways of addressing those and, and getting to, to the compliance to them. You can do that on smaller scale components. You can do that on a system level, or you can do that in an enterprise level. And you can manage the risks inherent that you want to deal with and mitigate through the standards. And you want to lower the risks on a systemic level. And by then using a knowledge graph, you can transfer the responsibility and clarify how you transfer the responsibilities across your enterprise or across domains or across enterprises um, and, and show who is actually responsible for what. And you don't know before the data is actually entered how all of these connections will be. You, you cannot really break it down. It's not, it's not something that is complicated. You don't know how the paths of compliance look like. It could be someone transferring to a system that transfers to something uh, overall, but that overall is actually implemented through a specific system that has a specific component that implements a specific thing out of a standard. And, and so you can see these long chains that of responsibility and trust uh, of someone else taking care of the problem. Uh, but not knowing about that, you need to help people to actually map that out. Um, and so to query those kind of paths and not only query them to understand what is there, but the converse is so much more interesting, what is not there. So what have we not accomplished? And that is beyond the human brain to be able to uh, see that whole graph of what is not there. So to be able to query from the, the things that are implemented up to the standard, who takes, who, what are the things that are not covered by some systems or the overall structure? And what are the things that we need to work on to, to get to a better compliance level? Or if you want to take it to a next level of compliance, what are the things that we need to do to, to get there and to have an even higher compliance? Uh, so to make those things measurable. So <clears throat> when I think when I when I think of this, you know, I, I I imagine like almost like layers, right? Like so, there's what's happening, which which is the the trust um, paths that you're describing, the compliance paths, and then there's what's not happening, which is the maybe the the distance between you know that layer I just described and what needs to exist on the ground, right? Like if mm -hmm. we knew what you know the body of our whole operations was, we could obviously see the the difference. And then the targets that you describe, like that's the future, right? Like from where we are today to 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 the why, like the why goal. Um, how do you? So do you imagine like? And and this is kind of visual to me, right? Like I think of like maps and and you know like like long pathways. Like how does how do you actually picture this? Because I I think for some people, you know, complexity is is new, right? Like we're talking about you know there's uncertainty here. Um, 
there's, there's lots, there's like, you know, emergence, which is what does emergence mean? But I don't know now and I, I may know tomorrow, right? So there's this whole new way of kind of interacting with, um, with change and, and, and the unknown that I think is, is like not always intuitive, right? So, so how does it, like for those who are kind of like, what are they talking about? <laughs> what, yeah, what, does it, what does it look like? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great question. And, and hmm. for me, it's a, a lot of the complexities we see are really, or are often uh, things that are really complicated that are masked as complexity because we cannot grasp them. It's beyond our imagination. I think that the, the famous quote of uh, the Go player uh, when he was, beaten by uh, the the ai uh, in, in yeah uh, mm -hmm. when that happened those moves that the ai did were not of this world so <laughs> and, and, and yeah so so they that ai played a completely different game and and we see that as as huge complexity but it's it's really complicated uh, it's just complicated mm -hmm. but mapping those things out is, is the exploration. So we need to start somewhere and visualize our way into understanding more. And, and for me, a lot of that is, is to break down into at least the patterns. So I start to see the patterns that, that are creating the overall pattern. So what are the patterns that I can in, uh, work with in, in a low complexity enough way so that I can understand the patterns themselves? Mm -hmm. uh, and map that out. I don't know the, the ultimate response and, and to see where it takes me, but I can see the things that will be there and I can model the concepts. And by being, being able to connect those concepts uh, in one way that I understand, I can see also the different connections that will be there in the future that will go far beyond my imagination, but I understand the individual parts of it. it it's like these um, swarming... Uh, things that we see with, with the birds when they're swarming. It's really, really cool. It's, it's fairly easily, easy mechanisms that happen, but it produces these huge, very beautiful uh, uh, yeah, imagery uh, uh, and, and uh, really cool things on, on the sky. And I think it's a bit the same with complexity. As long as we know the direction and the directionality of what we're doing, we can take, we can go there. We don't need to break everything down. We can have a motion in a direction and get there ultimately. So it's it's a way of approaching the problems in a different way where we accept that we don't know everything, but we can figure out small parts of it. And as long as we see that all of those parts are going in the direction, uh, that makes sense. So that is how I see complexity in, in, in the knowledge graphs, where the knowledge graphs will help us to deal with complexity, to capture some of those emergent properties in a way that are that are useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think mean, it makes I, sense, but... <laughs> totally, I, I do. I think that that's a very, that's like the wise approach to complexity, right? I mean, obviously, I mean, what, you know, as you say, what is complexity? It's just mm -hmm. something that's so big, so much bigger than the human perspective. And I often think this, in, in the sustainability space, we have this term called wicked challenges. Have you heard this before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so, you know, the whole, like, the, there's actually a definition, you know, in some paper, and, and it's something like, um, you know, these are really hard to solve because they're all interconnected. And so if you try to adjust one piece, you know, you're, yeah. you're changing five others, and actually you can't even adjust that piece because there's so many mm -hmm. incentives. And for, you know, many years, because it's so challenging, I mean, we haven't seen a, a, a real, um, you know, push towards sustainability, but, but if we actually dive into that, 
that yarn ball, right. And mm-hmm. take pieces out and, and, you know, and, and, and stop being afraid that we're never going to see the whole thing and it's never going to be perfect. Right. Yeah, if we just yeah. say, well, let's just try to identify what 12 intersecting systems exist here. Yeah. Maybe then we can get that direction, right. Maybe we can see that there's one thing that can definitely be done right now. And if we did that, right. So, you know, if we think about something like, like maybe it's a farm, and, you know, agriculture, it uses a lot of uh, fossil fuel. There's pesticides, there's herbicides, there's fertilizers. These are all chemical products. They end up in, you know, places they're not supposed to be. And they do a lot of damage there. Changing that whole system is, is really difficult, right? Like there's there's debt, there's million dollar combines, like huge machinery. There's whole lifestyles around this. There's, you know, rural geographies based around this kind of culture. We can't just change that tomorrow, right? But maybe we could start to plant, you know, some cover crops and build soil health and and show people that there is not as much of a need for pesticides when you have clover on your fields every so often, you know, and things like this, right? And and then we start to shift the whole picture, right? What 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 people are willing to do on their fields, what we, you know, and so on and so on. And and that's that's kind of how you you I mean, for sustainability, which is a really specific kind of like, you know, snare, that's how you, you have to move forward. But I think that probably applies to some enterprise problems too, right? Like very much complex. Maybe, you know, we have a huge disorganization that we're inheriting and how would we begin to think about that differently? Um, so how, you know, so how can like, in a more, I guess like a pointed question, like how can this approach that you're exploring with data mesh and with knowledge graphs and with complexity, how could that be adopted in, um, you know, in a real life scenario where someone is, you know, maybe they have a use case, like a compliance use case or a risk risk use case, but maybe they don't, right? Maybe they're just aware that there's, that there's probably something out there that's broken. Like what would, what could they do? Yeah. And and here is, I think you're coming to to crack something we we haven't talked that much about. and, And that is, what did I think I was missing a lot? Uh, and, and over my career, there is something that has been missing all along, a place where I can place management models and perspectives. Uh, and perspectives are really hard to, to capture, but you want them over time. And so you want to be able to see a, a model. You want to be able to simulate that model and make a first move out of it. And I believe that is a space if, if we build out, uh, so I'm dreaming about the future here, uh, really. But if, if, if we make something out of this space for, for climate change, for, uh, for complexity, for simulating things, for trying out the new things and just making some experiments just in the, the gist of learning, you need to have the ability to say that here is my data. Okay, I'm, I'm making a branch out of it. I'm trying out a few things to change that data into a different format that makes sense. And then try to simulate the future uh, with that and see if it makes sense. And, and I think a lot of that in, uh, for instance, uh, the, the uh, environment, social governance, uh, the ESG part, probably we want to be able to do a lot of that modeling and simulating on how an enterprise might react differently and in, react, in reaction to risk. So if I'm looking at cybersecurity risk, usually have a risk portfolio across your enterprise. So what are the things that we should be addressing? It's really hard to say. You might have a project, and if we run this project, we might reduce risk in one area, and we can compare all of the projects. That's one thing you can do with Monte Carlo simulations, another thing to see how your risk response is. But if if you then uh, 
simulate different aspects of that so that you can break down the probabilities of specific actions happening across all of the things that you have, you might be able to have very different responses and be able to simulate the projects of addressing specific pain points at scale uh, and, and looking. So I'm, I'm coming back to the question of climate change. What happens if we do something small in one area? If we start to understand the risk and the probability of impact, and we can address one part because we understand the chain of events in a better way, and we could be able to simulate what are the overall effects by simulating and doing experiments. And being able to do those experiments and do that across domains or in domains um, and be able to enable that experimentation, I think that that is one way where I see that knowledge graphs and data mesh uh, really come together because you would have the availability of data through the data mesh and then the knowledge graph to supplement that in, in enabling a complex view uh, and, and an experimentation way of working. Absolutely. I, I love that. And I can't wait to see and, and experience and build that future. Um, so I guess zooming back down to, to the present moment, how would we, uh, you know, what would we need to build? Like, what does that start with? Right. Cause I mean, you know, let's imagine that we're in an organization that, that wants to do data mesh, they want to do knowledge graph, and, and maybe they've even built like the foundations, right? Mm -hmm. What would the, you know, what, what does that kind of look like for workflow, for, for transformation of, um, you know, collaboration, right? Like how, how do people have to get used to transacting? Because I mean, what, what is it? Like only 3% of roles currently use data, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not to, not, I mean, of course you don't, you know, you don't know the answer so, to no. that. But what is it kind of like in your mind? Like, how does that, what's that like for people? Yeah, looking at this from, from the enterprise perspective, and um, uh, what I've seen a lot is that the data is, the data that you know of exists in a, in a way that is some somewhat accessible. But most of the data is, as you say, is not used. It, it's sitting there silent in, in somewhere where it could be picked up. But it's also very expensive to start picking up all of those data points and put them somewhere just because you can. Um, and so, so that that goes both for and, and against uh, these things. So I, I don't really know, but I think that making the data accessible, um, creating those interfaces, looking at cybersecurity, I look a lot at, about interfaces of systems and usually they have a lot too many interfaces so you can hack them. So you should have less interfaces, but those interfaces that you have should be really good and thought through. Uh, and, and you need to think about the data, about the data governance, but data availability as well, so that you can actually connect to that data when you need to it. Uh, and that comes back to the, the integration of our, uh, integration architect background that I have as well, uh, a number of years back, where the domains need to, to make their data available in, in some way. Um, but enabling the, 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 the ability to push and to pull data from the different domains, put them somewhere and pick them up and have a way of doing so for your own domain that you have control over and not have to change things at scale that affects a lot of other people. So you can do things that you have stable interfaces, you can deal with your data locally in your domain where you have control over it. You know what the others have to, to deal with in terms of the interfaces, but in your local uh, domain, you can have an easier way to, to work with it. And that is where I think that the knowledge graphs and the, able, the ability to branch out a different model, try it out, 
uh, and even do so with different interfaces that you're connecting. So, so you have a model with your data in, in a different format and you can try out between the domains as well to see if it makes sense uh, and to version and yeah, maybe in that direction. But I would say that I'm not into the depth of data mesh. There are some other speakers here that have gone into so much more depth that would offer so much, so much better answers, I think, to this question. Yeah, and, and there's many different answers and many yeah, different exactly. We can keep the time of, yeah. So so thank you for the the attempt at this jacket. Yeah. That um so I guess okay, so 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 what I'm taking away here is um, you know, that there's that there's very much an interactive process in being able to do this, especially if you use Terminus DB, which moves us away from that um, more entrenched challenge in an owl, you know, knowledge graph building where we all have to come together and agree on this one, you know, sort of like the one ring to rule them all, right? Like we're, we're mm -hmm. all use this language forever. Um, but, but there's something much more um, sort of light and, and changeable and dynamic that can be done through this other mechanism. Um, and, and I imagine that, you know, there's, like that, that there becomes this sort of communication that happens through these UIs you're talking about, where someone, you know, can report like local information and that goes, you know, to, to all the other people that can use it and, and to continuously be thinking about, okay, now that there's change there, like what does that mean for me and, and how do I become flexible in responding to that? And I think that also that that's another way to think about too, like some of these other challenges that come up with, with just implementing data mesh where, you know, now I have to be aware that the changes I decide to make in my own department with the data that I manage, like that they, they may influence others, right? So hmm. maybe we begin to, to see um, where the output that we're like now deciding about, you know, where that is and, and how, you know, there's, there's a response, like immediate response between, <laughs> because I, I think like that, that feedback, right, is hmm. one of the things that's missing if, if we think about the existing enterprise and the existing approach to complexity, you know, we often make actions and, and then we don't know what happens. And it's just mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it seems that everything is great because the impact, if there is one, is, is far away or it's not measured. And being able to to be more responsive, like it, it requires that you get this thing to respond to, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm immediately thinking of one thing of, of the composable Possible data shapes um, and, and the ability to to have something that is more fine grained. So you have something that pops up at the first time. So you're modeling out something, and that works good enough. And then you want all of those interfaces that can use data in that way to be able to work with that specific data uh, data construct and the data the shape of that data. So you want those documents to be available in a document interface. And here specifically, is the, the the interface in terms of DB for documents that I really like, you can query documents high up in the structure that don't have more specificity. And then you can create more fine-grained uh, models of the data where you add additional, you compose in additional traits and additional properties on the data, which means that new data that comes in further down into that hierarchy of composition can have much, can have a different shape uh, not fully different. You need still need to have the properties, the original properties there, but you can add additional properties and describe it in new ways, um, which in in a conventional database world would be to to add columns. Absolutely, 
but you would have the shapes of, of the data and you would have the complex data where you don't have the multiple tables that, that are interconnected. And I really like that approach of building the data sets and the structures uh, that are there uh, for really complex data. Complicated this, yeah. yeah, this reminds me of, I mean, there's a, there's the common refrain, right? That like tabular data is, is not good <laughs> in the knowledge graph world. Um, so, you know, what, what's your thought on, like, if you're an organization that's still, I mean, that's still, right? Most of them are still using SQL um, and, and RDBs, like what, how do you think that works in navigating complex environments is that a, is that a is it challenging to to be you know trying to put together the the many different views <laughs> to get this answer i i would say that the right tool for the job most things are perfectly fine and they should be modeled in a centralized way in a database and and not deal too much with with the additional because you don't need it and so so don't go somewhere when you don't need it. But when there is a thought that this probably needs to, to work in a different way, we need to have different kinds of queries, uh, that is probably where it makes sense to start exploring this. Um, because you, you would have other problems. Uh, you might have different performance characteristics. You would have different memory characteristics. Uh, you might have in-memory databases and you have a huge database. That, that doesn't make sense. So some, some of these scaling problems might come into play where you have cost structures that wouldn't align um, so I, I think it's important to understand which domain you're in and, and why you're modeling a certain thing and what you're trying to accomplish with it. And it also makes sense to have these common reference points um, so that you have master data, you have the, the specific uh, shapes of data that you're using so that you can at least uh, interact with the data in different domains uh, together in, in a good way. Um, yeah, so, so use the right tool for the job and, and uh, have the common references. And I think that you could supplement as well the, the, relational, uh, the, the relational structures that are there using graphs, where you don't use graph for all of the data, but rather for the interconnectivity of the data. Mm -hmm. And that, that's like the right complex answer, right? It's, well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> The architect's kitchen sink answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> True though. I mean, it's like every every problem is so customized these days, and uh, yeah. you really do have to think about the specific goals. Um, mm. But and and I think that's that's you know that's good to keep in mind. It's it's not that you need to like kind of transform everything in your environment in order to start to bring in some of these new things. Like it's very mm. much a hybrid approach, and and it can grow and and as you say, become emergent. So. Tell us, you know, about different, right? So how does, like, you're working on these, these tools. Um, how does that, you know, what, what specifically will people be able to do? And what's your kind of timeline? Is there something ready to go now? Or um, do people have to sign up to your, your email list and come back in six months? <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm, I'm actually releasing fairly fairly frequently uh, the, the invites. Uh, so, so if you go to dfrnt.com, you, you, you can sign up there to, to get an invite fairly soon. But uh, I'm really torn between releasing early, something that is too technical and with a hard onboarding process, you need to understand Terminus DB in depth and, and, and all of these interaction mechanisms to get a, an API token with Terminus DB, you need to do that manually and all of that. Uh, and that is not the goal that I'm having. I want to support change makers that are changing the world, and they don't need—they don't want to deal with data complexity and APIs and, and API keys and copying them and back and forth. They want a, a fairly easy experience. 
And so for me, I'm really torn about when to, to release what. Uh, so at the moment, it's, it's data modeling. It's a simple visualization uh, that can, can model uh, multi-parented trees, so directed acyclical graphs or really cyclical graphs as well to, to some extent. Uh, but it's, it's really about the data modeling that is excellent to do in terms of DB and really a good user interface. You can sit in your car, you can go in your mobile phone and, and do that modeling that you're thinking of while you're driving. Uh, so that is the, the immediate use case. And it works, it works well, uh, but it's, it's all of this onboarding process I need to, to work on. So that is where we are at. So we're early in our journey. My timeline is I want to build a tool because I need it. And, and I hope that others need it as well. Uh, but on the other hand, I've already contracted the uh, the payment provider and uh, the SaaS services uh, that goes around it and the security and all of that. So it's a tough question to answer, to be honest, Ellie. <laughs> I don't, I, the, the honest answer is I don't know. Uh, one of the answers is I wanted to release this three weeks ago because I felt that would be the right thing. And at the same time, I held myself back that I will be creating a lot of responsibilities. And I, I don't necessarily want to take those responsibilities. I want to let the product evolve and mm -hmm. listening to good guidance from people that have done this kind of journey before that you often release too early. And then uh, the product goes in a different direction because people have specific needs. Uh, so it's really a hard thing. Uh, I want to build out the the overall log frame approach to, to change and to be able to guide the change makers and implement management models. That is really what I want to do. And that comes so much further in, in that journey. And should I release something early in order to, to satisfy more feedback and getting better and learning faster uh, or, or waiting a little bit more? And also I have, have full-time commitments with my clients that, that I'm working with. So that also takes most yeah. of my time and waking hours. The endless juggling, right, of all the all the things. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I can I can say from a, a a community perspective, once you bring people in, it tends to get more complex. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and with Edith, I mean, we were thirty nine people after the the hackathon that were collaborating, and and it took a huge amount of time to just coordinate and and then building everything together and figuring out where we're going. I, I learned so much from that journey that. I'm, I'm hesitant to move too fast this time. I want to get it right. It's, it's more important to get it right. And then releasing a little bit early with the invitations so that I can get feedback in, in a relevant pace where I can actually deal with it rather than having people not feel that they're getting what they wanted yeah. or, or frustrations. So the, the so the takeaway is it's still very early, but you have these data modeling, um, you know, this initial data modeling use case. And it, what's what's sort of like the you know the, the bigger frame the bigger goal that that people could expect maybe in you know a few years time right the, the log frame what what can we do on your platform? Yeah, so so a little bit longer uh, if if we look at maybe a few years down the road or, or in a year or so, I, I want this visualization to be great. So you can look at. The, the graph visualization, you can save your view at the moment, you can work with that view, and you can really have this malleable view of your knowledge graph. So you can take a perspective of your knowledge graph, you can make a query, or you can choose what you want to show on your canvas uh, and see all of the connection, all of the connected data and how it's connected and be able to introspect parts of, of your uh, uh, of your schema and parts of your, your knowledge graph. So really to do this, 
mental partitioning. So I'm working on my space of, of this graph and maybe on my own branch. And then I'm sharing that with a colleague and, and we're working together on that. And there is someone on a different domain that is working. And of course, the technology will need to follow that as well. But I'm able to, like in Git, create a branch, work on some features, cherry pick that feature uh, of the data feature and bring that model somewhere else. So to enable all of these, these collaborative uh, parts of, of knowledge graph, semantic knowledge graph collaboration, really, uh, to be able to have uh, conversations through and in the knowledge graph itself to have the conversation about the data as well. So you have this understanding and this uh, conscious human understanding of the data and that metadata that you have not yet put into the model that you have these important points data points in, in terms of an understanding and commentary and things like that so the collaborative nature is important um, and then to build out these applications the quantitative risk management to to build out some kind of log frame and uh, raid uh, raid log for which is about risks issues decisions assumptions that you're making around your journey towards impact means of verification expressing that in a good way uh, being able to express your theory of change not on paper powerpoint imagery whiteboard but in data so everything becomes data instead of so all of these data points become data instead of being something on a powerpoint so mm -hmm. if i would change the world to where i want it to be we would no longer have to work that much in PowerPoint to visualize our stuff. We would do it in data so we can query that data. You know, I often think about reports, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so we get, you know, 2,000 academics for UN reports, say we get mm -hmm. 2,000 academics together and they spend a year writing a paper that's yeah, 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 yeah. 300, 500, you know, it's yeah. 7,000 pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, and no one has time to read that, right? And so then yeah. you this like three sentence like um a summary on yeah. you know, media which is just and so i often think like why and, and this is really something this is interesting this is something that veronica said and our one of our previous calls for this series um she said you know what we what we want to try to explain to the business users is that you can model your data it's just the same way as when you're sort of presenting in a powerpoint or yeah, sharing yeah. your work in any other way like but we can just do it as a form of data immediately, right? And, and I think that that's the interesting thing about data mesh is that we start to have this like socio-technical system, you know, we have to talk to each other to define our data conventions when we build a data mesh. And then we start to talk about community and we start to have these sort of like new relationships between people and data that they're not thinking about right now, right? Like the, the typical business user is just like, you know, taking materials and making materials and and it's a completely fluid process there's there's no awareness of like what's happening behind yeah. so we, we're kind of breaking that divide um and and so i wonder i mean so does that like does does your vision for what different could be does it include an alternative to report writing because i often think we could just sketch out sort of the relationships between you know the objects and like how they impact each other and then share that immediately right yeah, and I love the perspective, and it, it reminds me of a conversation I had yesterday, where the the conclusion of two architects speaking, me uh, another architect, and, and and she said, well, the the sorry thing about what we're doing is that to get to get be a really good solution architect and really have impact, you need to be extremely good at PowerPoint. <laughs>
But it says so much around this space that that we have so limited abilities to express ourselves. And uh, I want to enable that so it's fairly easily for business users, for technical users to express the way things are connected and, and visualize how they're connected. So that is definitely part of, of the vision. I hope to get there one day. And it's really what I'm striving for and, and the pain, pain, pain that I've had for so long. Uh, and I've got fairly good at PowerPoint along the way. <laughs> so it's, it's really bad. It's real testament to the problem. Um, so if we could express our reports in, in data, we will always need to have text and, and we will always need to try to get our AIs in the future to understand the text we're writing because the human language is, is fantastic to express ambiguity and ambiguity is always there. As soon as it's codified, it's, it's really hard to express the ambiguity and you have ways to express ambiguity, but I'm thinking we, we don't have good enough ways to express something that is almost good enough or a first step. So I want to bridge that first gap of from you have you have an idea and you want to put a first prototype of something that you can query. And, and enabling that, the data log that is there, some prolog or something else, that you can start to query your model of the world. You, you can create a model of the world and you can start querying and start to understanding better. So you can take the next step, the next step and do that in collaboration. Mm -hmm. This, yeah, I mean, that that would be, <laughs> that's so useful. <laughs> I, where is it? Where is this tool that we all need? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, it, it, this idea, right, of like, you're engaging with, you know, what you do know and what you don't know. I, I know you've said this before, sort of like, I'm 50% I'm sure of this, right? And, you know, and, and based on that assumption, like, maybe I should take another action, or hmm. maybe there's some information that, you know, I should be receiving from somewhere else in the system because mm -hmm. I, I put that flag in. So even just treating our sort of like, like we could make metadata out of our own concepts of what we know, right? And then mm -hmm. that could be another form of sort of, of triage or, or or something that happens in the system. There's there's so much that we could do with this mm -hmm. through, you know, the the, the, the connection of like, the connection of knowledge graphs with the variety of metadata that we could create. Um, so I look forward to hearing more and of course, you know, working with you further, Philippe, and hopefully others are not thoroughly confused <laughs> by my complexity and so on. It's not, it's not difficult. It's just, it's just, it's just complicated. <laughs> But we're working on it, right? Yeah. And yeah. we're finding new ways to to build. So I'm really excited. Um, any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners about data mesh, knowledge graphs, metadata, and this whole world of complex collaboration? I, we've been going in depth for in so many areas. I I don't know what it what it is. Let me know of any feedback on on Twitter or if you contact me in well any other way. So so reach out let me know how how you think differently because that is really the the core I, i'm here in this world to become better and better at learning so so learning is is all i want to do and and figure things out uh, so i love that let me know. yes it's, it's it's an open collaboration that's <laughs> so, so what's your what's your twitter handle for those who are listening so it's at hoynet uh h-o-i-j-n-e-t 
Okay, perfect. Uh, so if you search for Philip Hay, uh, you, you'll find it uh, with the strange Swedish uh, O with a tremor. So. Yeah, is that, is that the umlaut? No, that's the U, right? What's yeah, the... it's the two dots over the O. Yeah. yeah. H, yeah. two dots over the O, I, J. Okay, yeah. well, thank you, Philippe, for joining today. It's been a fantastic conversation, and I will certainly, I've already connected with you on Twitter, so I will certainly be talking yeah, yeah. to you in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me today. I'm, I'm flattered and honored. Thank you so much. I'd again like to thank our guest host, Ellie Young of Common Action, and our guest today, Philippe Hui, who's the founder at Different. As always, you can find their contact information in the show notes. Thank you. This week is a takeover week for the Knowledge Graph Conference, which is happening May 2nd through 6th in person in New York and online and with the 4th through the 6th being kind of the main conference days and the 2nd and the 3rd being workshop days. So the reason why I wanted to do a takeover is I think that knowledge graphs are very crucial, but that I just haven't seen a lot of information about knowledge graphs and how to apply it to data mesh, or even generally that there's a lot of people within the community that um, are as knowledgeable on what knowledge graphs are and how they can be useful in a data mesh implementation. So that's why we agreed to a takeover week. Uh, we also agreed because they are doing a free ticket giveaway. You can see the show notes for more information on this, but I do think that knowledge graphs is something that a lot of people uh, should be looking into as to how can we leverage these so that we can think about exploring data connectivity between data products and between domains in a much easier fashion, especially so that we don't lock ourselves into overly rigid ways of sharing data so that domains themselves can evolve and that we can also think about the overall evolution of the broader organization. So again, uh, if you want to look at more information about the conference or um, sign up or look again for that, that free ticket giveaway, please do check the show notes. Thanks. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month -month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one -on -one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. 
and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.